0: Hey, everybody, my name is Andrea.
1: And my name is Tamisa.
0: And welcome to episode seven of Hearing is Believing, a podcast where we talk about different topics that
1: center around our Catholic faith. So, like always, we just want to remind everybody that we are not experts, we do not speak on behalf of the Catholic Church. We're just two sisters who like talking about angels and demons and wanted to share these stories. So, Andrea, what's been new with you this week?
0: I am very happy. Today, I watched the inauguration. As a Catholic and as American, I am very proud that we have a Catholic president in the office again. Joe Biden is the second Catholic president um, that we've had in office. The first one, I mm-hmm. believe, was JFK. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm really happy about that. And it was a really interesting show. I don't know if you
1: watched it, Tamesa. No, I, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I am planning on rewatching. Well, I guess not really rewatching, but I'm planning on watching the recording online later today or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited for that, but I, I didn't get a chance to watch it live.
0: No, it was really good. Uh, Lady Gaga did the national anthem, and then mm-hmm. J-Lo came on. She did America the Beautiful, and I'm sorry, she's, she sang This Land is Your Land, This Land is My, my Land. You know that song? yeah yeah and then towards the end she changed it into america the beautiful and then garth brooks came on after her and sang Mm -hmm. amazing grace so that's good that's a really good lineup yeah it was really good it was really interesting it was uh garth brooks it was hilarious because you know how everyone's trying to keep social distance they're wearing masks they're not really touching each other i mean a couple people shake hands and everything So once Mm -hmm. Garth Brooks is finished doing his performance and he's walking back, you know, back from the, the, walking away from the stage from from the front and he's got to go past everybody. And it was the funniest thing because he's hugging and shaking hands with everybody, no mask. It's like, what social distance? COVID what? I don't know. (laughs) But it was hilarious. I was like. I I don't think he's even thinking about it. I think he's still like in his moment.
1: Yeah. In performance mode.
0: Yeah. He's still in performance mode. It's hilarious. And then plus you're there with history because this is a historic um, inauguration. One's the smallest inauguration there's ever been in the country. And then with the pandemic and everything. And yeah. Yeah. It's just it's crazy. But I'm not going to make this political or anything. But I am I'm just really happy. Yeah.
1: I'm really happy, though, because I. Like, I know the um, inauguration just happened, but like there's already been so many memes of Bernie Sanders sitting in his chair um, all by himself looking so sassy. And I love it. I'm just living for it. Have you seen it?
0: Yeah, I have. And people just have way too much time on their hands because that is some funny stuff.
1: Yeah, I love it i've been having so much fun just watching it and i'm oh wow it's like the highlight of my debt my day every single time
0: looking at bernie sanders with his mittens and everything like crossing these guys paper it's hilarious i love it i love bernie i mean he's I very know. he's very left it's okay but um just personality wise and just the way how he you know, talks i just love him it's just crazy yeah um mm-hmm. but anyway uh what about you to me so what's new
1: uh, pretty much everything's been uh, pretty the same here on my end. But something I did want to share, um, kind of just a follow-up from my New Year's resolution of wanting to pray more and be more consistent with praying every single day. Something that I found that's been helping me is I also had the New Year's resolution of working out more regularly, and I've been mm-hmm. doing yoga every single morning. And mm-hmm. when you're so when you're done with like your yoga flow you always end with like putting your palms together and like bowing your head and like saying namaste and it occurred to me i'm like huh well i'm already in like a prayer position let me just hop right into my morning prayer and i've been doing it and it's been so much more um effective in in keeping me being consistent and it's just it feels kind of strange because i'm doing one thing very um I guess, non-religious and then suddenly hopping into praying.
0: Well, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I find yoga to be very restorative. I love restorative yoga. Um, mm-hmm. But you kind of get into like a meditation kind of state with yoga. And I don't think there's yeah. anything wrong with transitioning from yoga to prayer because you're you're maintaining that meditation state, that mindfulness. Yeah,
1: Exactly. And I think that's what's helped me do it so easily, um, every day when i do yoga is just that like you said you you're very mindful and you're like setting the intention for the day and then i'm like okay i'm setting forward like this is what i want to work on god please help me accomplish this and i just flow into my prayer so yeah it's been really successful so i wanted to share that with everybody else in case that might be something anybody else wants to give a try
0: i think that's a really good way of one keeping healthy not keeping your body healthy but also keeping your soul healthy so i really like that i'm gonna have to give that a try
1: yeah highly recommend so now that we've got that out of the way Mm
0: -hmm. what's our topics for today tamisa
1: so i am going to talk about judas iscariot who is the infamous disciple that betrayed jesus so that will be my story talking about Uh, you know, what we know about him from the Bible, some other more contemporary things about him as well, or guess how he is brought up in modern day culture. Um, But yeah, what about you? I'm gonna be talking
0: about St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. She was Mm -hmm. the first American to be canonized by the Catholic Church. And she also established the first free Catholic school in Mm Emmitsburg, Maryland. And she founded the Sisters of Charity of St. Joseph's, was, which was the first religious congregation of women in the U.S.
1: Oh, dang.
0: Real trailblazer here. And I yeah. felt she was an American. She was you no know, a saint. I feel today's an appropriate day to talk about her.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that's very on theme. Mm-hmm. So I think it's your turn to go first this week. So why don't you just hop right in? Thank
0: you. So as I mentioned, I'm talking about Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton, but before I kind of go into her story to it's more of going to be of a biography on Saint Elizabeth. And just so you know, I'm going to say Saint Elizabeth the entire story because I don't want to be saying Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a mouthful. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, she real quick tidbit, she is the patron saint of sailors and widows. And Mm -hmm. towards the end of the story, I want you to take a guess as to why she's the patron saint of those. Sure. Elizabeth Ann Bailey, her maiden name, was born on August 28, 1774 in New York City. She was the second child of Dr. Richard Bailey and Catherine Charlton. Now, I want to say that the Bailey and Charlton families were amongst the earliest European settlers in the New York area. Specifically, her father, who was the first chief health officer of New York City, was a French Huguenot and English descent, and her mother was the daughter of a Church of England reverend who for 30 years had been the rector of the Church of St. Andrew on Staten Island. Okay. St. Elizabeth herself, though, was raised in what would eventually become the Episcopal Church. So she wasn't Catholic, wasn't born into Catholicism. And you gotta remember too, back in this day there was a lot of anti Catholic sentiment. So there, there weren't a lot of Catholics in this
1: time. Mm-hmm. Honestly, for like a huge part of American history, and I mean, obviously it's, it goes beyond American history, but for like the sake of the story, like uh, Catholics were subject to like a lot of like uh, persecution persecution prejudice Mm -hmm. um discrimination it's it's really interesting to learn about it's also i mean it's always heartbreaking whenever there's any form of religious uh, persecution but yeah definitely during this time is not a not a time to be openly catholic
0: yeah i was actually when i was doing research for um the saint i didn't know a lot of our founding fathers had some anti-catholic views Specifically, Mm -hmm. um, Thomas Jefferson had some anti-Catholic views, especially about priests. No, I I, I don't say I blame him because this did happen a lot where you have a lot of priests and a lot of people in the church who are kind of taking advantage of the Mm -hmm. inflow of money and the donations. I'm not saying people in the Catholic Church are perfect because we are people.
1: Yeah, man is flawed.
0: So I can see where he would say that. But yeah, that was a little disappointing. Mm hmm. But anyway, as I was saying, St. Elizabeth was raised in the what it would become the Episcopal Church, and she didn't really have a heartwarming upbringing. Her mother died when she was about three years old, and then her father remarried. Her stepmother didn't really accept her or her siblings, kind of rejected them, and then eventually when her father and her stepmother separated, the stepmother took her children that she had had and abandoned saint elizabeth and her siblings Mm -hmm. but fortunately for her she caught the eye of a very wealthy young man and on january 25th 1794 at age 19 saint elizabeth married william mcgee seaton a 25 year old wealthy businessman who ran an import export mercantile firm with his father okay so, in the early years of their marriage, the Satans were devout members of the Episcopal Church. St. Catherine would tend to the sick and dying among her family and friends and neighbors and the needy. And she was influenced by her father, Dr. Richard Bailey. And so, because of that influence, she became a charter member of the Society for the Relief of Poor Widows and Small Children in 1797. And also served as its treasurer. But eventually their good fortunes would come to an end. The Seton wealth was hurting in the economic instability of post-revolutionary war America. And then William's father died, and the couple and their five children had to take in William's six younger siblings, who all ranged between seven and 17. So they got a a big family to take care of now. And then the quasi-war happened. To me, so do you know what the quasi
1: war was no i'm actually really bad at american history when it comes to like different conflicts so i am not familiar
0: okay well the quasi war was an undeclared war between the u.s and france and this mm-hmm. was between the years of 1798 and 800 and a lot of the fighting happened at sea in the caribbean and atlantic and was an attack on american shipping so oh. william Seaton lost a lot of ships at sea yeah. because of this mm-hmm. and then with that and the united kingdom's blockade on france william seaton's company went bankrupt and the seatons lost their home in lower manhattan so oh they were hurting
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then on top of that william seaton for most of their married life had already been suffering from tuberculosis but with the you know added stress of losing his company and then losing their home, his illness worsened. Mm-hmm. Doctors orders were to go abroad to warmer climates, and William Seton, who had spent a good portion of his youth in Europe, had some business associates in Italy. So St. Elizabeth and their eldest daughter, Anna, went with William Seton to Italy. Okay. So upon landing at the port of Livorno, Italy... Mm-hmm. They were there for about a month and then William died on tw- December 27th, 1803, leaving Saint Elizabeth a widow at the age of 29 and leaving her as the sole supporter of five young children.
1: Oh, that really sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when it rains it pours, honestly. I think especially during those times when like you're a woman, like what like wow, I can't imagine how maybe just stuck she felt, you know.
0: Yeah. No, and then on top of that, she's in a country she's not familiar with, with people she's not familiar with. But lucky for her, the no, she and her daughter Anna were received by her husband's Italian business partners, Filippo and Antonio Felici mm-hmm. and their families. And Saint Elizabeth and her daughter stayed with them until the spring of eighteen oh four. Okay. So during that time, Saint Elizabeth She went to mass with her Italian friends. They took her to all the different churches in the area. They took her to the churches in Florence and she was impressed by the devotion of the common people and the faith and the belief of the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Upon returning to New York City, St. Elizabeth was determined to become a Catholic and this was much to the anger of her friends and family because you gotta remember there's a lot of catholic sentiment anti-catholic sentiment still Mm -hmm. in this time
1: oh geez that that definitely is not an easy transition i can just imagine like her family probably thinking this woman's going crazy like after everything that she went through and then she's like by the way i'm gonna change my religious belief like they probably were just so upset and concerned if anything
0: yeah, I mean, she was determined to, to do it, and I mean, she had a lot of fears and doubts about converting to, you know, the Roman Catholic faith, and she turned to the Virgin Mary for guidance mm-hmm. in her search for truth, and this guidance led her to eventually be received into the Catholic Church mm-hmm. on March 14th, 1805, by Reverend Matthew O'Brien, who was the pastor of St. Peter's Church, that was then the city's only Catholic church. And then she received her first communion on March 25th. Yay. Then a year later, on Pentecost Sunday, she received the Sacrament of Confirmation Mm -hmm. from the Bishop of Baltimore, Reverend John Carroll, who was the only Catholic bishop in the nation.
1: Good. Way to go. So a lot of firsts
0: in this story, which is making me real happy.
1: Yeah. Honestly. It's crazy to think, because, I mean, like, 1700s isn't... I know it feels really far away, but at the same time, it's not like so distant that you would expect so many like firsts or at least maybe that's just my own personal feeling this is
0: early 1800s you gotta remember this is yeah. right after no you know the revolutionary war this is right after you no know, we have a, a young america america's still they're trying to, they're getting their footing still mm-hmm. so there's, there's going to be a lot of firsts and this time as i had mentioned before saint elizabeth is a widow and she needed to support herself and her five children and you can imagine with her converting to Catholicism and her friends and family weren't going to be happy with her if they disowned her. So she didn't have any money. So she needed to support herself. And so she started a an academy for young girls. But once the news got out of her conversion to Catholicism, a lot of the parents withdrew their daughters from her school and eventually she had no more students. Oh no. I know this it's really bad there's a lot of anti-catholic sentiment and it's it's so sad yeah saint elizabeth was losing money and she was you no know, on the verge of losing faith she met father lewis william valentine de berg a sulpician priest and he was the president of saint mary's catholic i'm sorry saint mary's college in baltimore uh for those of you who don't know sulpician priests um they fled away from France during the Reign of Terror because there was a lot of anti-Catholic sentiments there, too. And a lot mm-hmm. of priests were being killed. And the Sulpician priests dedicate themselves to teaching others for holy orders. Okay.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it definitely makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. It took it took me a moment to like, wrap my brain around it. But, like, no, I, I definitely understand. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the P- Sulpician priests, when they were in the U.S., they were tr- in the process of trying to establish the first Catholic seminary for the Mm -hmm. United States. So in keeping with that goal, Father DuBerg also envisioned a religious school to meet a lot of the educational needs in the U.S. for the very small Catholic community that was was here. Mm -hmm. So he reached out to St. Elizabeth. At first, she was a little reluctant, but then in 1809, she accepted his invitation and moved her family to Emmitsburg, Maryland. And then in 1810... She founded the first community of religious women who would dedicate themselves to the care of the poor, uh, the poor children. And with this congregation, she created the first uh, school for Catholic girls, which was Mm -hmm. St. Joseph's Academy and Free School. And this school established the, the seeds of what is now the Catholic parochial school system in the U.S.,
1: Yay! Again, another like trailblazing moment of her just setting the precedent for everything else. Wow, that's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, she set a
0: lot of things in motion, and from this point on, she became known as Mother Seton. Oh. So for the remainder of Saint Elizabeth's life, she spent it leading and developing the new congregation. A lot of people described her as charming and cultured, well, because she came from New York, no high society. So she knew a lot of people, and she knew how to present herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, unfortunately, still had a lot of great difficulties in her life. She lost two daughters to tuberculosis. Yeah. Dang, that's got to be harsh. So eventually, St. Elizabeth died on January 4th, 1821, at the age of 46. And today, her remains are still found there in Emmitsburg, Maryland, at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Oh, dang. Well, that's so nice. Here's a happy ending for her story. Yes. St. Elizabeth was beatified by Pope John the 23rd on March 17th, 1963. And he said this when she was beatified. He said, In a house that was very small, but with ample space for charity, she sowed a seed in America, which by divine grace grew into a large tree. And then she was canonized, by Pope Paul VI on September 14th, 1975. And at St. Peter's Square, when he canonized her, Pope Paul VI said, Elizabeth Ann Seton is a saint. St. Elizabeth Ann Seton is an American. All of us say this with special joy and with the intention of honoring the land and the nation from which she sprang forth as the first flower in the calendar of the saints. Elizabeth Ann Seaton was wholly American. Rejoice for your glorious daughter. Be proud of her and know how to preserve her fruitful heritage. Wow. Dang, that's like a America moment. Wow. Yep. And that is my story of St. Elizabeth Ann Seaton.
1: Wow, that was nice. I like that. I felt like that. you're right. That was very appropriate for this, this current um, national event that we're going through.
0: Uh before we transition to your story, can you guess why she's the patron saint of widows and sailors? Um
1: well widows, I would say because she was a widow, right? That makes sense. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the sailor because her husband was a merchant. He right? He did he did shipping.
0: Yep, shipping, import export. So sailors and widows. Yeah. Full circle. I like that. So yes 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 uh okay so we're going into your story now yeah uh judas yep the apostle Mm -hmm. the
1: disciple yes judas iscariot uh so that is his formal name um he is like i said infamously known as being the ultimate traitor archetype he was one of jesus's 12 disciples and he is the one who betrayed jesus for 30 pieces of silver and eventually led to the crucifixion of christ so yeah not everybody's um favorite person definitely did, no. was not miss congeniality uh yeah
0: are you going to talk about why there we have the that saying called the kiss of judas
1: yeah i will i'll be talking about um about that <laughs> a little bit later okay so yeah okay mm-hmm but to give a little bit more context about judas like i said he was one of the 12 disciples um although the canonical gospels which is matthew mark luke and john aren't always super consistent about like the names of some of the minor disciples all four Mm -hmm. of them always include judas iscariot um as being one of the 12 so okay for the purpose of this story i'm just going to always refer to him as judas moving forward um when Uh i was doing research i did see quite a few different theories about where his that that surname iscariot comes from um but there wasn't like a lot of like concrete details some some people believe it comes from uh like where he's from uh like in the southern region of israel uh and then some other theories that you know theologians have come up with or historians have come up with have to do with like his name actually being a reference to his betrayal like that it could mean like um like dagger for how he stabbed jesus in the back and uh one actually one another another translation implies like betrayer so and mm-hmm. there's like a, a big mix of stuff so we are just gonna call him judas keep it simple
0: <laughs> yeah you went off on a tangent. I'm like, okay, we're just going to call him Judas.
1: Yeah, we're just going to call him Judas. I just, I, I was very, I just wanted to briefly mention it because I was surprised to see that there's so many like theories about his surname, which to be honest, I wasn't even aware of it until recently. So, but, but yeah. Okay. Okay. So in the Gospels, Judas is clearly pl- uh, portrayed as having an active being an active part of the disciples' ministry of preaching mm-hmm. and healing. Jesus actually sent out the 12 with the power to cast out demons, to cure diseases. So he he really was um, like front and center and part of all of Jesus' ministry and travels and miracles. So he was witness to a lot of it. Jesus had bestowed onto him, you know, like I said, the power to to save others and to spread the word of God. So it's, it makes it even more painful, I guess, that he would end up betraying Jesus the way he does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, what's also really important to note is the evangelists make it very, very clear that Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed by one of his disciples. Even going as far as saying that one of the disciples sitting at the table during the Last Supper was going to betray him so jesus knew knew this was going to happen but it's very clear that he doesn't make any um assumptions yeah he never says who's gonna be and he also doesn't do anything to prevent it um which again (laughs) in my research i saw a lot of like scholarly articles that were saying like oh well if jesus knew then is judas really to blame yeah and have jesus stopped him and um i have really strong feelings about that so we'll we'll maybe we'll talk about that later and some of the other um i guess theories and arguments
0: you want to talk about that after the story
1: <sighs> we'll talk about it in a little bit i'll I'll get to that point in a, a little bit into the story and it gets me really hot and bothered and okay. like not very happy but uh we'll you know we'll just we'll uh put that on the back burner for now okay um i I've got some theories on this too. Yeah. I feel like if we go into it now, it's just going to get into become a big mess, but we'll mm-hmm. get there. Um, but back to, back to Judas and all of that, the gospel of Matthew states that Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, um, which Andrew, I want you to guess, how much do you think that would be worth today? Um, well, silver is not worth
0: a lot even now uh but it's 30 pieces give me all right so give give me give me um help me out here is it going to be in the hundreds or is it going to be in the thousands i know it's not going to be in the the
1: thousands it's it's not in the thousands it's in the it's in the hundreds the hundreds but you know i'll i'll even make it easier for you it's like less than 500 okay
0: um i'm gonna say about maybe 150 dollars
1: okay you're not too far off i'm
0: gonna stay on the low
1: end (laughs) yeah no you're really not that far off so according to our great pal wikipedia um (laughs) they estimate that it's probably between like 185 dollars to 216 dollars um you know just depending on like the type of coins and the, Mm -hmm. the silver and things like that and but yeah so that's that's the range so really it's not a lot. No, that's not a lot, and and for and for Jesus,
0: who is a high profile character and and you know, <laughs> in our in our history, yeah, I don't know if that was me. I feel one like really sad, and then two insulted. Yeah, I would feel like, dude, I'm worth more. You could have gotten
1: at least some gold in there too. Oh my god, it's like not only is Judas a betrayer, but now we know he's also cheap.
0: <laughs> I'm not trying to make fun of the situation, but. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah it's crazy um yeah it it, it just annoys me
0: obviously mm-hmm. we're
1: not supposed to like judas but no. it just really gets like just bothers me because it's so so f- little money for like i said he, judas saw jesus in action witnessed miracles
0: he knew he was the son of god he knew what he was capable mm-hmm. of
1: yeah and he he took the money so um So it's really important to note actually that it's only in the gospel of Matthew. That's that states that Judas made this deal for 30 pieces of silver. Um, Mm -hmm. The other gospels do mention that there was this exchange of money, but they don't specify how much. Um, So according to Matthew, before the last supper, Judas went to the chief priests and agreed to turn in Jesus in exchange for those 30 silver coins. After the last supper, Jesus spent time talking and praying in the garden of Gethsemane uh, with three of the disciples, Peter, John, and James. And Jesus asked them to stay awake and pray. And this is what is known as the agony in the garden, Mm -hmm. Um, which I know, I think you mentioned it also like in the episode about um, The the rosary. Yeah. So it's a really important part of, you know, our Catholic faith and Um, part of the passion of Christ is Mm -hmm. in when he's in the garden Jesus is just over overwhelmed with sadness and anguish and in his prayers he starts saying my father if it's possible let this cup pass me by nevertheless let it be as you not I would have it done if this cup cannot pass by but I must drink it your will be done and he ends up praying this three times and after each interval he checks on his disciples and finds them sound asleep even though he told them like stay Stay awake yeah so he gets pretty upset with them um but after his prayers you know an angel comes down and strengthen strengthens him and jesus accepts that it's it's time the hour has has come there is
0: no escaping what was coming for him
1: yeah it wasn't it was it was meant to happen and i know for me personally the agony in the garden is always it's very heartbreaking but it's also just very um it's like a very empathetic moment for me because you remember that yes jesus is the son of god Mm -hmm. but he's also you know the son of man like he is he's human and he is scared like he's not just some I get like I guess like robot that doesn't have emotions it's just like he's scared like he didn't really want that to happen but he knew like if this is what's necessary for God's plan and for man's salvation Mm -hmm. and it's meant to happen then let it happen but I'm scared you know
0: um real quick question because you've been to the garden Mm
1: -hmm.
0: what was it like there like did you still feel that vibe that that suffering cuz i would imagine that would have a lingering effect
1: yeah it has a vibe <laughs> at least it did for me um it's it's not very pretty i guess it's very like a uh, g- gravelly like there's lots of pebbles mm-hmm. um and i remember there being lots of um like thorny bushes and maybe it was also just the season that i was there maybe just the flowers hadn't blossomed um if there were any flowers But you're right, it does have a very, like, solemn vibe to it. Um, And I think also just knowing what happens there, that that is where Jesus is going to be betrayed, it just breaks your heart. But yeah, I, it was, it was kind of a sad, sad vibe, Um, especially because we had been to other places um, that are important to, like, important in the Bible and important in the life of Jesus. And some of those places felt just so light. And so energizing. I don't know how else to say it, except it felt light. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you get to the Garden of just Enemy, you're just like, oh, wow. Like, you feel like a heaviness. Or, yeah, at least that was my experience. Still highly recommend going. Definitely should go again. But, yeah, it's a little sad. I imagine, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Eventually, maybe I'll get to see it.
1: I highly recommend it. I know I, I mentioned to uh, one of my friends um, who is christian i was like you really should go to israel it was just so incredible um so i would go again but anyways so back to back to judas and all the sad things that were about to happen um so after the last supper um judas went and got the the high priest soldiers and leads them to the garden of Gethsemane and reveals which one of them is jesus by kissing him on the cheek and calling him rabbi. And mm. that's where we get the term, the kiss of Judas. But what I always loved is that when Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek, mm-hmm. Jesus responds by saying, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? And after that, Jesus is arrested. And I just love that. I feel like that's such like a mic drop moment being like, I know what you're doing. And you think this is cool just because you give me a, a kiss on the cheek? Ah, it makes me so mad but yeah. yeah that's where the term kiss of Judas comes from hmm okay so um you know after this Jesus is led away and uh, experiences you know the trial the the judgment the beating the crucifixion um, and when Jesus is being led away to the cross Judas goes back to the chief priests and the elders completely filled with regret and Judas tries to return the money, throws it at them at their feet. Um, and the high priests are just, like, not taking it because they're like, no, like, you you do what you did. Like, that, that money's dirty now. So Yeah, it's blood money at this point, yeah. Exactly. Um, but, you know, Judas, like, throws some money at them and runs away. Um, and he goes to a field and hangs himself. And this potter field was actually purchased... By the chief, so when using that money that Judas threw back at them, mm-hmm. since it was too unclean to use for the temple, they used they used that money to purchase that potter's field. And um, a lot of the gospels say that it's Judas's field, uh, his field of blood, because it was purchased with the money that he obtained for, from his betrayal.
0: I've heard of this field before, and I've also heard that nothing grows on this field. Like, I yeah. don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just what I've heard.
1: So I, I saw that, too. Um, I saw that, like, said it in a couple places, but I don't know, like, the, the actual legitimacy of that. Um, but I think it definitely adds to the creep factor, being like, oh, that's, that's where Judas was hanged. Or where he hung himself. himself. Yeah, like, absolutely. Um, so here's the part that I want us to... I want to get your take on it. Mm-hmm. So in the book of John, I believe... He says that the devil entered Judas and inserted the thoughts of betrayal, um, but he does specify. I mean, it's very clear he did not possess Judas; just entered Judas and planted the seed of betrayal that would eventually lead to him, com- like you know, turning in Jesus. Yeah, and that was always brought up in those articles that I was reading when I was researching, being like, well, Judas was being influenced by the devil. It's not that Judas is a bad guy. who's just influenced by the by the devil, which I am not in agreement. <laughs> I do not agree. It's just like, like, yeah, I mean, that is the devil's job is to tempt people. So why yeah. are people being like, oh, that's a free pass? Like, no, no, it's no. not.
0: It's not because, yeah, the, the, the idea might have been planted in there, but he acted on it. He made his decision. He made his choice. He could have said, No, this is wrong. I'm going to fight this. No, he's going to have an internal struggle. But he made that choice. He had free will. He decided to betray Jesus. He does not get a free pass in my book. He is guilty. Yeah, exactly.
1: And um, to also kind of go along with that, something that I remember hearing about like a long time ago, and um, again in my research is. Judas is actually mentioned as one of the seven demons possessing um, Annalise Michael, which I know mm. we'll, we'll cover that in the future.
0: Yeah, we're, we're going to get to that story eventually. I'm excited for that story.
1: I might let like you do it because re- I've done research on it and it scares, like, just scares me to pieces. There's recordings. The recordings. Oh man, they're creepy. I cannot
0: listen to the recordings, I can't. and I've, I've I've listened to like part of them, and I had to stop. I could not do it.
1: Oh man! As soon as you brought it up, like my feet just shot up from the ground, and like I'm tucking them under my butt so that nothing can grab my feet. Ugh. Okay, yeah, it's very scary. Mm-hmm. But um, but anyways, Judas Iscariot is mentioned as one of the demons that are that is possessing her, um, at that time. So we we know that judas is in hell which makes sense because he did commit suicide he he hung himself after betraying jesus um but yes judas is is in hell now um but something else i found that you know you know maybe this is gonna be you're gonna find this really interesting too Mm -hmm. is uh have you ever heard of the burning of judas the burning of judas yeah i've never
0: heard of this no
1: Okay, well, prepare yourself. So this is an Easter, um, Easter time ritual that started in European Christian communities way back when, okay. where they um they take an effigy of Judas and they will burn, hang, flog, or even explode him. Oh, so, okay, yeah, <laughs> a lot of aggression. So I'm I'm not alone in my dislike for judas apparently it's uh it's quite a community event
0: well i know you don't like judas but i don't i don't i cannot picture (laughs) you ever grabbing a a statue of him or an effigy or
1: anything like that and lighting him on fire yeah exactly it's it's (laughs) a lot of rage to be uh enacting and they hang him yeah exactly they they uh, oftentimes it does involve hanging him uh which i think is pretty messed up but uh specific customs the specifics of it really vary depending on the community but you know typically judas is hanged in reenactment of the gospel of matthew Um, okay so usually that would happen like on good friday um Mm -hmm. and then they burn that effigy on the night of easter of easter sunday
0: but they uh, but there's some communities that explode him like how how do you explode him like fireworks oh okay so just strap into a rocket
1: and boom i you know i wish i had those details for you but that's (laughs) what i imagine um like you remember like those like little like uh firecrackers that would go off in like the town square in in mexico in, in our hometown um that's what i picture when i when i uh, read the description that's what i was picturing but who knows it varies from from community um actually there's some parts in latin america where uh-huh. they actually do this on new year's eve as a symbol of casting out evil and starting the new year spiritually what country clean. does this um i saw that list like some examples and photos listed in argentina and in brazil i actually found a picture of the burning judas in brazil that was taken in 1901 which is really like it was so crazy to see that picture um Mm -hmm. so yeah if people if if you want to look it up online like google it you'll find a lot of different stuff from all around the world i I do want to put the caveat that it has been widely discouraged and kind of frowned upon since um there is a lot of like uh connotations associated with it like a a lot of um Mm -hmm anti-semitic connotations um, uh, so yeah okay. i so can is, see that yeah it's not the best thing i don't encourage people to do it i mean it's it's you know rituals for certain communities and i think it's interesting to talk about but maybe maybe don't pick that up <laughs> maybe don't start that as like a family tradition
0: yeah don't do that
1: yeah but yeah so that is the story of judas that was a very
0: interesting story and thank you for ending it that way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, yeah.
0: That was that was a roller coaster of a ride right there.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of emotions. You know you get angry, you uh you get a little heartbroken and then uh you just get really confused. Yeah, definitely.
0: That was that was a very that was a very interesting story. Thank you, Tamisa, for sharing that. Um mm, anytime. Alright. So that was another episode. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. And please don't forget, guys, to check out our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter at HIB Podcast. Um,
0: Also, if you listen to us on Apple Podcast, give us a rating, subscribe, leave a comment. That will really help us out a lot. Yes, please. Yes, please. And if you have any stories that you would like to share with us and you're okay with us sharing them on air, please email them to hearingisbelievingpodcast at gmail.com.
1: Awesome. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.